Do you have a story to tell about a terrible medical conversation? I want to hear from you. Please email me at christine at christinemeyermd.com. I can't wait for you to tell me more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Meyer. On the show, we break down some of the worst conversations in healthcare. Why? Because I believe that together we can build better ones. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Tell Me More. We are talking about a really important subject today. We're talking about pregnancy. When women are considering starting their families, you know, there's so much stress and pressure. Many of us have our lives planned out to the T and we expect to get pregnant at a certain time. And if that doesn't go as planned or if the pregnancy doesn't go as planned, it has the potential to disrupt our life plan, right? Or at least that's how we see it. So today we're talking to Molly, who has experienced the whole gamut of pregnancy experiences from difficult early days in pregnancy to pregnancy loss, successful pregnancy, and across all of that, many, many conversations with doctors, some good and some bad. (laughs) Right, Molly? Yes. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here. So just recap for me how your story started. Yeah. So my husband and I got married in September of 2018, and we knew that we wanted to start a family pretty quickly. So I had talked to my primary care provider a couple months before our wedding to just say, what do I have to do to, besides have sex, to to have a baby? (sighs) Is there anything that I should be thinking about? So they had advised me, you know, get off birth control when you're ready and start taking a prenatal whenever you want. Earlier is fine. And so that's, that's what I had done. And I kind of through my experience, quickly realized that my sort of sex education in in school was a lot around not getting pregnant, but not very much around actually getting pregnant. So I knew a lot about what my menstrual cycle was like, but not so much about what the mechanics of figuring out the right timing to actually make a baby were. So when we started trying to get pregnant, we really were just having sex and trying to get pregnant. That, That was about it. And I wasn't really taking into account timing in my cycle or anything like that. I didn't know what I needed to be thinking about. And I think that what's hard about these the conversations that come after this is that it's really a much better experience if you don't have to know all of that. It's really it's really nice to not have to think about all of it. And if you're lucky enough that you just you get pregnant without trying very hard and then things go smoothly, that's the ideal. And it's it's hard to balance what what information what extra information you need to know when the best way to go through it all is to, for it to be very uncomplicated. So fortunately for us, we, we didn't have trouble conceiving. I got pregnant on my second cycle. And shortly after Thanksgiving, I realized like, oh, I think I, think I might be late. So at that point, I'd been on the pill for so long that, and I didn't know if my cycles would be regular. So I took a pregnancy test and found out that I was pregnant. So I call, I was like, okay, well, I don't have an OB, so I need to get a doctor. So I called an OB's office and they said, you have to confirm that you're pregnant before you can become an OB patient. So you have to talk to your primary care provider. So I called my primary care provider's office and they said, okay, we'll write you a prescription for blood work that will confirm the pregnancy. And then we'll let you know what comes back. So 
went for my blood work, got a message in my portal that said, hey, like, looks like you're four weeks pregnant. Congratulations. And so you can now share this with the the OB doctor's office. Can I pause you for a second, Molly? So you do what you're supposed to do, right? You you don't totally understand all the details of the physiology, but like you said, that kind of takes some of the joy out of starting your family, right? But you go through and you do what you're supposed to do. And then you reach out to the OB. They can't see you for several weeks. And we've all kind of been there where you're not an OB patient until you're this far along in the pregnancy and your blood work confirms that you're pregnant. But the part that I'm hung up on is your primary doctor orders a blood test appropriately so, and then you're notified by portal. And in the portal, they specifically say you're four weeks along. They said, based on your numbers, it looks like you're four weeks along. And they sent me what my HCG number was and then the chart that tells you the ranges and the the ranges overlap so greatly. So when I looked at that, and again, not knowing a lot about what it meant to be pregnant, I was like, okay, well, I get that seems okay. I think I, I think I thought I was a little bit further along, but again, it could have been like the low end of where I thought I was. So I was like, all right, I'm not concerned because I don't, I don't know to be concerned at that point. So then what happened? So called the OB's office and that's at that point they said, okay, well, we can't see you until you're about eight weeks along. So they scheduled my appointment. And at that point I was kind of in no man's land and felt like I didn't really belong to anybody, which which didn't matter until about a week later, I started having a, what felt like a lot of gas pains and felt like very constipated, which was not normal for me and then started spotting. So I called the OB's office. And when you call the nurse line, they ask, what's your date of birth? What's your name? And I'm not technically in the system yet because I haven't had my first new patient appointment. So they they did talk to me though. And they said, well, you know, like if you are straining, that could be why you're spotting. It can be really normal. So just, you know, like lay low, just rest and relax, call us back if it seems to be getting worse. So I spent like a very stressed out weekend just in, in bed reading and, and being worried and and not really knowing what was going on, but just trying to tell myself like, okay, it's going to be fine. So then on Monday, I tried to like get ready to go to work and I was so anxious that I just was like, I can't even get in the car. So I called the doctor back and I said, like, I know I don't have an appointment till eight weeks and you guys are saying it's probably fine, but could someone please see me? Cause I'm just, I don't understand what's going on. So they did let me come in that day. And so I had an exam and the doctor said, well, the blood is brown. So it's old. That usually means old blood, which is good. That's okay. And your cervix is closed and, and firm. So it's, so everything seems like it's fine, but I'm going to send you for more blood work. And I don't really remember any explanation about why it was just, we're going to get this blood work and that will tell me more information about what's going on, but everything is looking good. It's like, okay. So then I go home and kind of am Googling like, okay, well, what should happen in the next blood draw? And I'm learning like, okay, my HCG should double every two days or every, I can't even remember anymore. And so I'm doing the, the math and like, all right, I think it should be like here. So then I I go for the blood work and then the process is you have to wait 24 hours and then I have to call and and wait on hold to get my results. And I'm like in my office trying not to let anyone know that I'm pregnant or freaking out about something going wrong with the pregnancy and trying to get these results. 
And so finally I was able to get through and I remember the nurse just saying, okay, yeah, let me find it. And she said, okay, yeah, it's, and the number that she said was something in the like low thousands and it should have been in the tens of thousands at that point based on my math. But again, I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. So, and she said, yeah, they want you to go for another round of blood work to see how the numbers change. So you have to come into the office and pick up the script to take it for the blood work. So I said, okay. But at that point, they hadn't said anything like, this isn't really seeming good. Just We just need you to do more. So I went into the office and at that point, I just kind of lost it. And I said, listen, mm-hmm. I'm here to pick up this script, but like, I need someone to talk to me. Aw, sorry. It's okay. About what this actually means. So they did see me and examine me again. And at that point, they said, like, listen, your numbers are just way too low. And that's what this means. And that this is very likely not a viable pregnancy, which I think was probably generous to say. I think at that point, the numbers really were so low that they they really should have said this is not a viable pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the plan from there was. They put me on progesterone just in case and they were and they said we're going to keep doing your blood work maybe something will change and something good will happen but otherwise we need to follow your numbers all the way back down to zero so i said okay that's the plan but at this point molly all you've had is blood work and exams you haven't had any other testing right no and any information you understand about hcg and how it works you've derived yourself from google yeah Okay. All right, go on. So I think in the first exam, they had also gave me a script for an ultrasound to reassure me. So I had the appointment for an ultrasound, but again, I couldn't get that scheduled for a while. And I now had to go get this additional blood work. So I'm going for the blood work. I think I went through the first round. I did the blood work and they called and they said, it's still going up a very little bit. So we need you to go again. Okay. And at that point, I was like bleeding a lot more and having some cramping. And sort of the part that felt crazy to me at the time was like, when you hear about miscarriage on on TV or in the movies, it seems like a very short event. So the fact that like, I was like, Oh, my, how am I supposed to do this for potentially weeks and show up at my job? And not really talk to my friends and family about it, because none of them knew what was happening. So that part felt I felt very just like rudderless, like no one was really telling me how to navigate this. So I kept going for the blood work. And then the, and again, it's go for the blood work, wait 24 hours, sit on hold forever, trying to get someone (laughs) to tell you what your blood work results were. And, and I just remember feeling like I just want to be on the other side of this. So the next round of blood work came back and I was waiting and waiting for results. I left a message for someone to please call me back. And they did finally call back and they said, you know, it's going up again. We need you to go for an emergency ultrasound right now. So I said, mm-hmm. okay. And they helped me. Did they tell you why, what they were suspicious of? At that point, they did say we need to do the ultrasound to check because it could be an ectopic pregnancy. And I had days and days of Googling what is happening to me. I had read a lot about ectopic pregnancy, but I was sort of, if you Google it, it says like rare. So like, well, that's not, the rare things aren't happening to me. Like that's not what's happening. So I went for the ultrasound and I remember, and this has been sort of the theme and it's probably a 
character flaw on my part. I remember feeling like I had to make everyone feel better about <laughs> this horrible story that they were in with me. So I remember Aww. saying to the ultrasound tech, like, hey, I know what you're checking for, just so you know, like, I already know this isn't a viable pregnancy. Oh so like, God. you are the sweetest thing. <laughs> this is a horrible like... day for all of us, but it's not as wow. you're, you're not finding out a surprise. I just need to know what's happening. And at that point, I really just felt like I just want to know what exactly is going to happen next. Cause the waiting for, for the, the waiting for the bad part was just the, the part that was really just dr so draining. But again, like the ultrasound tech can't say anything while they're doing it. So she was very kind and knew that it was a difficult day for me, but did the ultrasound. And then I was supposed to wait in the waiting room for the radiologist to look at it and call up to my OB's office. And then if they, they were going to tell me if I needed to immediately go upstairs. So they came down and they said, okay, yeah, you should just go up to your office. I said, all right. So I go in and they do another exam and they said, you know, we can't really tell from the scan, but there's no evidence of an intrauterine pregnancy. And there is, it looks like there is something in your fallopian tube. So you need to go to the hospital to ambulatory care and you're going to have surgery like right now. Because at this point, I'm nine weeks along based on my cycle. So I'm like, okay. But at that point, and I'm actually so grateful for the lack of conversations at this point because I didn't know how scary that actually was. I didn't know the true danger that I was in having an ectopic pregnancy. So I think part of the theme in my story also is like sometimes I've been very grateful for the lack, lack of, of, of information and conversation. So I went. So, so let's just pause again, Molly. So, because an ectopic pregnancy, for those that might not be familiar, is when a fertilized egg, which is becoming an embryo, implants outside of the uterus. And it can implant anywhere in the reproductive organs. It can be fallopian tube, ovary, outside the ovary. But it is not a normal pregnancy, but it has all of the potential blood flow with a normal pregnancy. Yep. And it can continue to grow. So even though it's not viable, and, and we saw that when your HCG started to go up. So you have this basically thing that's growing outside of your uterus. And the big risk here is that ectopic pregnancy could rupture and yeah. you could hemorrhage and you can die. And actually, yeah. that's not as unlikely as people would like to think. An ectopic yeah. pregnancy by definition is a life or death emergency. And you've been walking around with it now for nine weeks, not knowing that, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but, which, but like you said, you're you're kind of relieved a little bit because if you had known like, hey, your life could be in danger, that wouldn't have served you any good. You would have just right. been terrified. Yes, which we get to that part of my story when <laughs> when we get to my next pregnancy. But so I went to the hospital to ambulatory care. Again, I felt like I had to make everyone sort of, I kept reassuring people like, this isn't the worst. The worst day was finding out the pregnancy was not viable. This isn't the worst day, guys. Like, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm, I'm happy to be figuring out what's going on. But what was hard in the hospital was that I was sort of waiting in ambulatory care and the nurses were very kind, but I was asking questions like, okay, well, can you explain to me what kind of surgery I'm having? And what does that mean for my fallopian tube? And what does that mean for my fertility? And what is what is the plan? All that the nurses could tell me was just, well, you'll need to talk to the doctor. The the doctor will talk through what the what the plan is. We're not sure. I said, okay. So then 
finally they were ready for me and they like wheeled me on the bed into the hallway outside of the OR. And this is the part where I, I hope that a process can change. And I understand why this is what needed to happen. But what happened then was that every person that was going to be in the OR had to come up to me in the bed and ask me, what's your name, all of my information, and what procedure are you having done today? So I had to say probably six times in a row, like DNC with laparoscopic exploratory surgery for suspected ectopic pregnancy, just over and over again. Then when the surgeon came to talk to me and talked about sort of what I had experienced the blood loss and sort of t- and the tissue loss that I thought I had experienced already, then she said, well, you know what, maybe it's a cyst near your ovary, maybe you did already have a miscarriage, now we're going to do a DNC and DNE and laparoscopic exploratory surgery for a suspected ectopic pregnancy. And then everyone came back around and I had to say it all again, because now we had changed the plan. So wow. that's the other part where I'm so grateful for the way that my story panned out, that I knew it wasn't a viable pregnancy, that I had already kind of begun to mourn the loss. And that if that day had been go for an ultrasound, find out that this isn't viable and it's ectopic and you're having surgery and then just having to say it over and over and over and over again while I'm just alone in a hallway. It's just. Oh, how awful. Mm. I don't think that that should be the experience. Absolutely not. But I understand why it is. And again, each individual person was so kind, which is, it's sort of when you hear my whole story together, I feel like it feels like, oh my God, <laughs> that that's terrible. But when you look at each individual interaction, there's no one did anything wrong. No one, it just collectively could have been better. So I went into the operating room. Everyone again was just so, so kind. And I'm so grateful for for my OB and, and because she was able to determine that it was an ectopic pregnancy and she was able to save my tube, which now I'm I'm part of a lot of ectopic pregnancy groups online. And like that's not most people's story. Most people do lose their fallopian tube if they have to have the surgery. So the fact that she was able to remove it and and keep my tube intact, I was really, really grateful for. So then I went to post-op. Again, everyone was really kind. My surgeon was really reassuring like that I was going to be able to get pregnant again and, and that I would go in for a follow-up in a week or two. Went home, kind of started to just recover and start dealing with, with all of that. And it was pretty it was difficult, but at that point I felt like, okay, at least I'm on the other side of this terrible experience and now I'm moving forward. So at my follow-up appointment, I found out like, okay, so this is what we did in the surgery. And now what happens next is you really, you have to heal. You cannot get pregnant for the next three months. It would be very dangerous for you to get pregnant. You should get back on birth control. But there wasn't a lot of conversation around why it just was this is what you have to do this is the safest path forward and at that point i was like great let's be safe because now i've read a ton about ectopic pregnancy and i understand how different the story could have gone and that at nine weeks along that that it hadn't ruptured was really significant and that that it could have been a much different experience so 
get through the three months and my husband and I decide, okay, we're going to start trying again. It took a little bit longer that time, but by October, I was pregnant again. So I called my OB and I said, okay, I just found out that I'm pregnant again. I now know everything about my reproductive cycle <laughs> and, my, and my body. So I know exactly when I ovulated. I know exactly when I conceived. I know exactly how far along I am. So I, like, let's, what happens next? And so they said, okay, so we'll send you for blood work and we're going to schedule an abdominal check so you can come in the office and they'll examine you externally. So I said, okay. So I go for the blood work and I said, hey, last time my progesterone was really low. I don't know if that is me or if that was the ectopic pregnancy. So can that be included in my initial blood work this time? Because it wasn't previously. So they did they did do that. So I get my blood work results back and the numbers seem just better than the last time. Higher, the progesterone is where it needs to be. Said, okay, this is this seems really good. So I go in for my abdominal exam and at that point, this is when I was kind of like, what is, there didn't seem to be a path for someone that had had a loss. So typically you go in at like eight weeks, that's your first appointment. So here I am at like five or six weeks. And I remember the practitioner that I saw just saying like, well, I don't know why they sent you here because I can't do anything for you. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't know why, why they sent me here either. Wow. So she looked at my blood work and she said, okay, Oh, I skipped a. I did skip a part of the story. Between, between the pregnancies, they sent me for a procedure called it an HSG, which is when they put dye up through your cervix to make sure that the dye flows through your fallopian tubes and spills out. And I, my husband and I, like, were cheering like fill and spill while we were <laughs> in, the, in the room because if it doesn't, if it doesn't spill on the x-ray, then there's, it means a that you, there's a blockage, which would mean that if you got pregnant on that side, there wasn't a chance that you'd have another ectopic pregnancy. So both of my tubes filled and spilled. And the doctor at that point said, okay, great. Like you can start trying. That was the clear, cleared me to start trying to get pregnant again and had said not like everything is great. Just go ahead. So when I got to that appointment where I was pregnant for the abdominal check, and they had said, well, I don't know why they sent you here. And I said, well, what should I do? Because now I know that if I have an ectopic pregnancy, it could rupture. I feel like I'm in danger. I kind of feel like a ticking time bomb. The doctor that did the HSG told me everything's clear. Everything's great. At my annual exam between the HSG and finding out I was pregnant, that doctor first had misread my chart and said, okay, so they removed your tube. And I said, no, my tube is still there. And then, then I said, yeah, they said, everything's fine. I can, it's going to be fine. I can start trying to get pregnant again. And he said, he looked at the report and said, well, everything's not totally fine. And then explained to me like, well, your tube is dilated over here and the other tube has some clumping. And his advice to me was, to proceed as though it's a 50-50 chance I'm going to have another ectopic pregnancy, which is wow. different different than wow. the odds on Google and really, <laughs> and, and really, and, and scary. And so then when the next practitioner said, well, I don't know why you're worried. Your HSG was fine. It filled and spilled and you don't have any like pre-existing conditions or you don't smoke. You don't, you didn't have an STD. Like none of the, these are all things that could make you more prone to having ectopic pregnancy. I didn't have any of those. I'd never had an abdominal surgery. There was no pre-existing reason why this should have happened to me. 
And I said, well, on my annual exam, they said it's a 50-50. So how, how do I proceed and keep myself safe? Because in, in my head, I'm thinking, like, if it ruptures, it's it can be extremely painful, extremely dangerous. All, all of my fellow ectopic pregnancy people on the internet are talking about how, like, they passed out in the bathroom and someone had to call 911. So I'm thinking to myself, like, Am I going to be driving and get in an accident? Am I going to be trapped at work? I need to tell someone in the office, like if I happen to keel over and pass out, P.S. I'm pregnant and I had an ectopic pregnancy. It just feels like I had to share so much more than I was right. ready to, to keep mm -hmm. myself safe. And I felt like there wasn't really a clear plan. Everything I had been Googling about said that the course of action was repeated HCG tests to make sure that my levels were going up appropriately, because if they weren't, then it would be suspected ectopic again, go for an ultrasound as soon as I could, potentially get treated with medication this time instead of surgery. So I thought that that would be the plan, and it, it wasn't. The plan coming out mm -hmm. of that appointment was, well, you know what? Like, you could get all the blood. You could go. I could send you every two days to get blood work. You'll have to go through all of those tests and all of that anxiety waiting for the results. And it could mean nothing because it's so, so early. So the course of action that we took was, I think I went for one more round of blood work. The amount of days was where I would be at a level where I could get an ultrasound and be able to see something. So it was, wait this many days, your levels should be here, get the blood work, and we'll schedule you for an ultrasound, which felt scary because the internet was telling me that that was not the right course of action. Again, looking back, I'm very grateful because I would have been so anxious going for all that blood work for it to really not necessarily tell me anything. So I don't know what the right thing was. I'm not grateful for the feeling of why are you here at that first mm -hmm. appointment and feeling like no one had a real plan to take care of me. But I am grateful for the course of action that that practitioner did recommend because for me as a really anxious person, that was the right thing. So I went for the the follow-up blood work. I had done my doubling math. I knew what I hoped it would be. It needed to be over uh -huh. 10,000, and it was. So then I went for the ultrasound, and it was an intrauterine pregnancy. So that was, so we were just so excited that, and then you just start kind of the normal, the normal weight of, of getting normal through your, worry. Of, of your first trimester. But after that, aside from March 2020, be becoming a, a pandemic, it was a very normal, <laughs> normal mm -hmm. pregnancy, really, really easy and great. And I had, I felt like I had great care. My delivery was great. I just felt very taken care of through that entire pregnancy. Just the very beginning was a little rough. And I think the other piece that was a little messy was that because I came in for that five-week appointment and because I had an early ultrasound, I kind of missed the eight-week appointment where they give you the packet that's like, here's all of the testing information. Make sure you're taking a prenatal. Don't eat these foods. Eat enough of these foods. So I didn't, I didn't, I missed that step. So when I went for my 12-week appointment, I was sort of behind. But again, thankfully for the internet, I wasn't, I wasn't doing too many wrong things, I guess. <laughs> but, um, so but everything with my pregnancy was good after the kind of rocky start. Then I got pregnant again when my first son was oh, just after his first birthday. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to be in charge of this process because now I know what 
what made me feel good and what worked for me. I know that they don't have a plan for me over there that mm-hmm. fits that fits this path that I'm on. So I found out I was pregnant. We were going on vacation. So I just sat on it. On the last day of vacation, I called from the bathroom, like whispering, because I didn't want my family to know yet. And I said, okay, like I took a pregnancy test. I know that I'm pregnant. I need to go for blood work and I want an abdominal check and I want an ultrasound scheduled as soon as it can be, which should be next week. And so all of that got scheduled. I went to the ultrasound. Unfortunately, that tech, she did tell me it is in your uterus. She's like, I, obviously, I don't know if it's going to be a successful pregnancy, but it is not. I can see an intrauterine pregnancy. So that was a big relief because it would have been really difficult to go through that totally silent ultrasound. But the plan was go for that ultrasound and on the same day, go for my abdominal check so that if the tech didn't say anything to me in the appointment, I was only going to be two hours away from the appointment where my OB could say, could look at it and tell me what was going on. So I felt really good about that plan. So thank God the tech did tell me it's an intrauterine pregnancy and was able to show me on the screen. That made me feel a lot better because when I showed up at my OB's office, the when they came in, she was like, oh, you're here really early for a first appointment. And I said, well, yeah, I had my ultrasound this morning. And she's like, oh, I don't have your results. So she was completely wow. unprepared for, for oh me to gosh. be there, which again, it's like, it worked out fine because the tech had told me and everything was fine. But if I had been waiting for hours to find out, like, is this another ectopic pregnancy? And then I got to that appointment and they didn't have my ultrasound results and they had no idea why I was there. It would have been a really, really terrible experience. It felt terrible enough just being like, why does no one know how to deal with my situation? But at that point, I was sort of was like, okay, well, I'm just going to rally because I got great news. It's an intrauterine pregnancy. Now I'm just going to be on the normal track. But it was sort of the rest of my first trimester was kind of rocky. I don't really blame any individual practitioner. It really is just the system and the process because you're seeing different people each time that you go. And so like the the next appointment, again, it was written down that my tube had been removed, not that it not that oh they had preserved goodness. it. And, and the mm. next appointment, someone had written down part of my information wrong. And so and this goes along with the theme of me trying to make people feel better in the moment. So the doc, I hadn't seen this doctor before and she came in and she said, oh, well, and how old is your oldest? And I said, oh, he's at that 18 months and, and, or something. And she, she said, well, what about your youngest? And now in my head, I'm thinking, oh no, this poor woman, she thinks, the she first, thinks I have, uh... yeah. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Instead of me being upset to have to talk about loss, I was like, oh, no, she's going to be so embarrassed and feel so bad. So then I said, oh, no, no, like my first pregnancy was ectopic. I, I had one successful pregnancy and now I'm pregnant again. And she flips around a post-it note and shows me that at the top of the post-it note, it says my name. And it says that I have had 14 pregnancies and three successful births. And I said, well, that's not me. I don't oh, know who that is. God. <laughs> so, it was just a lot of tiny misses that all together made me feel very like lost and not cared for. And like, I didn't know 
how to make sure I was getting the right care, how to make sure that people had the right information about me. And I, I just sort of, I didn't really know what else to do. So I just kept keeping track of my own stuff and making sure that I was asking the right questions and sharing the right information. And that the, I mean, my pregnancy was successful and my delivery was successful and I, I was safe and healthy and my kids are safe and healthy. So it's, when I zoom out, I have to just say, okay, that was that was a good experience. We we all made it out okay, but there are just all of these tiny bad experiences that could be better. I don't know. I used to say to people, I wish that like I wish I could have just said to someone like, can you just like make my folder black or like put yeah. a big sad face on the front of my wow. folder because it's I think sometimes people are so kind and happy to see you and you're, they don't understand that you're there for something really hard and sad. Like when my follow-up appointments after my surgery or, or even like checking in on, on mental health and anxiety and depression afterwards, like I wasn't given any guidance, like maybe you should talk to someone or, or even like a check-in, any kind of I had the like postpartum anxiety and depression surveys with my successful pregnancies, but there was none of that with my loss. It was sort of like, mm -hmm. okay, well, we handled it and you're okay and you can try again and it'll be okay. And I just think that there, it just, the process could be better for people. So you, I love that. I think you wrote in your initial email that this was like death by a thousand cuts, right? And I, this is such an important story because we've heard so far with other guests and patients that they have like one or two very specific, very bad conversations with doctors and, you know, and they remove themselves from that relationship and they find a better relationship and then go on to have better conversations and better outcomes. Yeah. But for you, your conversations weren't necessarily bad. They were just right. inadequate. Yeah. And the process was terrible. So the miscommunication, the lack of follow through, people not knowing who you were, what had happened to you. I mean, it feels so disjointed. Yeah. So I, we haven't talked about this, Molly, but if you were to plan another pregnancy, would you go back to that practice? So the reason I stuck with them for my second pregnancy is because in my head, I was like, well, they have all my information somewhere. They do know these things about me. I know how to navigate this process to get through that initial steps. And I think each individual doctor was outstanding. And if each thing that happened had been the only thing that happened, then it would have been fine. Like I could zoom out and say, oh, that was just one goof. It would be a really difficult decision because I do really think that each individual doctor is doing a good job and doing the best job and they took care of me and they took care of my kids. So I will always be grateful for that. I think it's a shame that they, to get to them, it's in a system that doesn't necessarily work for somebody that right. has experienced a loss. Well, so, you know, the fact that you didn't immediately say, oh, heck no, I am never going back to that place. That is, I love that in a way, because I think it speaks to the, at the core of almost all healthcare providers or doctors is this genuine need, want, desire to do right by the patient. Like none of us wakes up in the morning and says, 
let me see how many people I can screw up today. Like we really, really, we start our day, go through our day, end our day, just trying to do right by every patient. But we are, so we blame the process, but we created that process. So we can have all the good intentions and the best bedside manner and the best exam technique. But if we're not, if we are not zooming out and looking at the process that we helped to create, then that's not enough. So you, from the very, very beginning, you had to teach yourself stuff. You relied so much on the internet. You suffered in silence, you know, probably with your husband, but not with really any medical support. And in the end, you're just so grateful because you have two healthy kids, right? And you're here and you're healthy, but the process could have been so much better. So I think your story really highlights when we talk about good and bad conversations with doctors, that's not really enough. It has to be a conversation about the process around the conversation because only one person sort of blew you off a little bit when they were like, I don't know why you're here. Mm-hmm. But everybody else you you say was kind and professional and, you know, you yeah. really didn't have a bad encounter with a physician or a healthcare provider, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it's also like, I felt like in some of the conversations, like when I would say, so my ultrasounds, I would all, the initial ultrasounds, I would always be measuring what looked like a week behind. And at that point I knew, hey, my cycle is 35 days. I know that I, the beginning phase of my cycle is longer. I know when I ovulated, I'm not a week behind, I'm right on time. But there always had to be this period of like, well, we'll have to do the next ultrasound and then we'll see, and then we can determine if we're going to use your last period date or your ovulation date. I said, okay, I think that because the system is the way that it is and it's what doctors are working within and it's what patients are working within, I think there has to be kind of some meeting in the middle on the fact that like patients do have to go home and like read the internet and try and, and figure things out. And like my grandfather used to say when he, when he would have like a lot of medical things going on, like, I just need a quarterback. And like, I became my own quarterback. I had to figure out like, okay, I have to go to this appointment. I have to go to this appointment. I have to be thinking about this. At one point I had a cardiologist in the mix and I'm the one kind of bringing that information back and forth. And so I think that I'm sure as a, I would imagine as a doctor, it must be so frustrating when someone kind of quotes Dr. Google. But I think that in the in the system that we're in, there's got to be a partnership with the patient unless there's time to have more in-depth conversations because there's a lot of going home and trying to navigate it by yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can't blame you for going to Google if we're not giving you what you need. I mean, especially when it comes to something that's brand new for you. And I think that's another, probably a theme in your story and some stories like yours where the obstetricians and practitioners in an OB practice, they see women newly pregnant or post-ectopic pregnancy and then pregnant like a thousand times a day. To them, this is like, everyday stuff, but they don't remember, don't pay attention to the fact that this is your first time going, this is your first attempt at pregnancy. This is your first and God willing, your only ectopic pregnancy. So even though they have the benefit of like tons and tons and tons of experience, you don't. So we have to like, you know, bring it all the way down and and put ourselves in your situation and say, what if this were me and I didn't know what I know? How would I want 
someone to talk to me. Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of the, again, the process where people, doctors in this country, providers, we see so many patients and it's like, okay, yeah. this one is six weeks, this one's five weeks, this one's this, this one's that. Yeah. And you know, they kind of ignore the individual. That's not just a, how many weeks along are you? Yeah. And I think that that, that was another part that felt just on a very personal level, really difficult being in a practice with many practitioners because the doctor that was there for the doctor that told me this is not a viable pregnancy reintroduced herself to me two years later when I had my next son. So like you were there on my worst day, but I'm just one. And I can completely understand that. And I don't, obviously you're not going to remember me (laughs) from two years ago, but I just remember feeling like, Oh God, like, you yeah. were, th- I know you, you were there on in the very worst moment and so kind uh-huh. in that moment, but mm-hmm. it just is a, a blip on the radar, which is, I mean, it's normal. It's so, it's so hard. Well, so, so let me tell you this. So I, I've been in practice a very long time, right? And I have seen many, many, many patients. And I used to have this steel trap of a memory, right? Where it, like if I had met a patient and then I ran into them at Wegmans or whatever, I'd be like, I'd know them, I'd know their name and their husband's name and how many kids they had and all that. But as, as I got busier, but more importantly, as I got older and certainly going through menopause and losing brain cells, I, my memory is trash. It's just trash. But here's what I do. So I see a name on my schedule and I don't necessarily recognize it. I look in the chart. I go back. I, I literally do an investigation before I walk into that room because, yeah, I don't want to look like an idiot, but I also think it's terrible to walk into a room and introduce myself to someone and they'll be like, ah, you saw me three months ago, which actually has almost happened to me so many times. Like I, I see a name and I'm like, this person's got to be brand new. And then I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I, I met them two months ago. And that doesn't mean, you know, that patient isn't memorable or that I didn't care at that time. It means that billions of things sucked up other brain cells in the interim. But so, yeah, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't blame a doctor who didn't remember a patient, but I would put in a little effort. You know what I mean? Like take five seconds to just look back and there's got to be a way to build that into the process and not have it be so time consuming that it disrupts your whole day. I mean, e- even if that doctor hadn't actually remembered you, but had acted like they remembered you, you would have yeah. felt better, right? Yeah. 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 I, I wish that everyone had been sort of, my wish was, I wish everyone that had been there for all of these worst moments could have been celebrating with me in this really great yeah. moment and then, mm-hmm. and instead it was just not, okay, nice to meet you. And here's, here's more information. So it just, it all felt like everything was sort of each interaction was sort of in a vacuum when like, mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's my life and all of them have added up to something. Right. Wow. So I know this was so hard for you to share mine. and I really, I'm so appreciative. It's a whole different conversation than we've been having. So if you, I, I want to ask you two questions. If you're talking to women who are considering pregnancy for the first time or have had a bad experience, experienced a loss, a pregnancy loss, what would you tell them to do to advocate for themselves in, in the system that we currently have in this country? I would say if you are planning on becoming pregnant, 
and don't have an OB, if you're only seeing a gynecologist, get established with an OB so that you don't land in that not belonging to anyone gap that I was in. I would also say, while it is magical for it to just kind of happen mysteriously that you get pregnant, I would really recommend getting to know your body, getting to know your cycle, learning exactly how it works so that God forbid something is going wrong, you know how it should go for you. So those are my my two big recommendations there for people considering becoming pregnant. And then for people that have experienced a loss, it's so individual what you need. You're the only one that's going to know what you need. Some women are going to need people to not talk about it. For me, what I need is to, in my in every appointment, sort of lead with it and say, this is part of my story and I need you to handle me this way <laughs> because mm-hmm. of that. I right. need more information. I am an anxious person. Here's why. Here's what has happened. I feel lost in the cracks between these appointments. Can you help me? So I think it's just mm-hmm. you have to think about what you need to feel good and be successful and reduce your stress during during your pregnancy and ask for it. And the worst that happens is a practitioner says to you, like, that's not how I'm going to do this. And then you find someone that's a better fit. Then you move on. Yeah. Exactly. So then what would you say to those of us in medicine? And I can't really speak to what it's like to be an obstetrician because I'm not. I'm a primary care doctor. And so my my life is spent developing these relationships with patients and no, and knowing like every in and out of their life. Like, you know, my patients basically grew up with me. I've had patients that I've known for 25 years. It's very different. But if you, if you could ask something of obstetricians in general or obstetrics practices in general, what would it be? This one I don't think is a is an actual possible ask, but I think the option, like after someone has experienced a loss, if there are hours for appointments that are not OB appointments, so people can come in and not be surrounded by pregnant bellies. Pregnant women. That would make right. that would make a really big difference. So at least give people the option to sort of navigate the aftermath in a way that feels mm. more comfortable for them. Aww. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a big ask, Molly, to be honest with you. You block out a little bit of time at the beginning or end of the day and just yeah. say, these are for these select patients. Yeah. And I wow. just, I don't think you need to put someone on like a lost track, but to give people the option to navigate it in a way that is less uncomfortable and hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think also, we have to work on our processes. We can't be great doctors, have great bedside manner, have great intentions, and not dig into our processes that aren't working or aren't efficient or leave patients hanging like like happened to you. This was just tremendously helpful, Molly. Any Any parting words? May I ask you, are you planning another pregnancy? Not right now. It's very, <laughs> two, two under two is very hard. <laughs> so, but, yeah, you are so yeah. brave. So you're going to enjoy the, the babies you have and, you know, enjoy every second. Thank you so, so much. Thank I you. love your story. I think that it is going to help so many people. I hope that actually some doctors and healthcare providers listen 
And if nothing else, just take two seconds to look at the chart before walking into the room. Like that's such a small thing to do. And then larger scale, maybe look at those process improvements that can be made to, to better the patient experience in general. Thank you again, Molly. You are delightful. I'm so glad that I got to meet you. If there's ever anything else you want to talk about, please reach out to me. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you all for listening. This was one of my favorite episodes so far. If you have a story that you would like to share with me about a good or bad conversation with a health healthcare provider, please reach out. You can message me on Instagram. Or you can email me, christine at christinemeyermd.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready to join our conversation? Just go to Facebook and search Christine Meyer MD. Follow us to join 14,000 other people committed to creating better conversations in healthcare. <laughs>